Good morning, church. My name is Brett. I'm pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. Welcome. Glad to have you in the house. Good morning, Sterling. We're going to continue our series on our mission, which is to encounter Christ, to experience community, and to extend the kingdom. Today we're going to talk about what it means to experience community. Turn with me, if you would, over to the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. Ephesians, chapter 3. The title of this message is Experience Community. Ephesians, chapter 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. Paul is writing, and he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation, verse 3, there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been made, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, verse 6, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Lord, help us as we study. Paul had the unique privilege of hearing from God about what salvation meant to the entire world. It's not that he, he had revelation that was diametrically opposed to that which Peter and the rest of the apostles in Jerusalem had. The church actually believed that the Gentiles could come into the kingdom, just as there were Gentiles who became Jewish, converts to Judaism, before Christ came. And God commended people who were either servants or slaves of Jewish people, or those who just wanted to come into the kingdom. He commended them and said, make sure they're circumcised, go through all the things, they can become a part of my people. So it's not that we, Gentiles, people who were not born Jewish, could not participate in the covenant. But the Jewish apostles, for the most part, didn't believe we could be participants in the covenant with them. Oh, we Gentiles could come in, but just not with them. So if we wanted to have our own service, great. We wanted to have our own church, fabulous. Just don't fellowship with me. And this is why Paul says, this revelation was given to me, that there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. There's no difference between black and white. There's no difference between the people groups on the planet because God has one family, not two. He's interested in producing one household, not two. And so there's not a Jewish household as Christian and then a Gentile household as Christian. There shouldn't be a black household as Christian and a white household as Christian. Shouldn't be an Asian household as Christian and then a Latino household as Christian. Now that does not mean that everybody has to be together all the time. But in mind and theology, we are one. You don't have to always fellowship together to prove that you are together. I'm not a big guy who's opposed to denominations and, 
and different congregations and everybody looking at somehow the fact that we all meet differently as Christians around the country or even in the city, that somehow that is anecdotal evidence of the fact that we're separated. You live in your own house. You want to live in a, in a commune? I mean, there's nothing wrong with segregating people according to families. The issue is, are we one? Do we have the same mindset to one another? When it's time to mobilize the body of Christ, does the body of Christ come together and do something for God in the earth? That's the issue. I'm happy about Christ fellowship. I love Christian fellowship. I love McLean. I know the pastors, great men, great people. But simply because they meet over there, we meet over here, doesn't mean we're separate. Just means we have a distinctiveness that requires there be a separate message at a separate time. Secondly, there just aren't buildings enough big enough to hold us all. I mean, there are some practices that need to be involved here. Secondly, when you look at Israel, there were 12 tribes. 12. And all of them had their distinctiveness, yet they made one people. Judah. Had a, had, had a sense of being ruler, and, and a, 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 their, their image was as if a lion. Naphtali was like a doe set free. Dan had another person. All of them had different personalities, and they had different distinctiveness. But they were all one nation, and so we can be that. Paul is trying to say, you know, it's not so much that you all got to meet together in one house. It's that you are one, and you realize that. Your fellow members, fellow partakers, join together for a specific purpose to glorify God in the earth. And Paul says, this mystery was given to me. Now, the rest of the church, the apostles, the rest of the apostles didn't get this until Paul kind of drummed it into their heads. I mean, he just kept driving it home. When he came to Jerusalem and saw that Peter was hanging out with the Jews on one Sunday, and then hanging out with the Gentiles on another Sunday. Eh, that wasn't so bad. But then as he was hanging out with the Gentiles on one Sunday, he wouldn't tell the Jews that he was hanging out with the Gentiles for fear that the Jews would think he was less than. And so he would pretend. And Paul said, I confronted him to his face. Called him out on his hypocrisy. What's wrong with you? You understand something, but you don't understand everything. We're one body. One body. Fellow members. Fellow heirs fellow partakers and this is why he uses the term so freely and repetitively fellow it means joint together and this was radical for the the, the church the early church because, because remember they they thought jesus was their messiah meaning the jews their messiah and he could have application to the rest of the world but he was their messiah sent to them and, and this, this is the danger of, of understanding how much God cares about you, how much he loves you, is that you begin to think he loves only you. The Jewish people shifted. And, and rather than thinking that they were God's chosen, they began to think they were God's only. And simply because... God loves you doesn't mean he can't love other people. Now, I know that sounds elementary, and I'm not trying to, to insult your intelligence, but, but hear me from a different perspective. 
He likes people you don't. God likes people you don't. Let me just bring it home for you for a minute. There are folks that you would like to see bad things happen to because they hurt you. They did something to you. They're talking bad about you. You want God to get them. And although you wouldn't say that theologically because you know it's not right, you know you can't get them, and you know you ought to pray for forgiveness, but when something bad does happen that looks like God got them, something on the inside of you goes, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. See? It's, there's no mercy there. There's, oh, no, oh, no. It's, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. God likes people you don't. And there ought to be a mindset when you understand how much he loves you and is merciful to you and is kind to you that you don't become so myopic that you forget that he's treating somebody else that you may not like with the same kind of mercy and kindness, even though they may have offended you. And remember, you are that person to somebody else. Somebody's mad at you right now. Right now. Hoping God will get you. (laughs) Hopefully why you in church so everybody else can see it. (laughs) God cares about people. And he wants, Paul is saying here, he wants us to be one fellow parents and he had this insight and he was bringing it now the difference in mission between Paul and Peter was that Peter wasn't called specifically to the Gentiles though he was called to reach the world in his mind it was most of the Jewish world Paul was specifically called to go to the Gentile community and incorporate them and because he did so we are now the beneficiaries those of you who are not of Jewish origin like me we have benefited from Paul's mission and, and, and the world has benefited to such a degree that now most of the church is Gentile. For the first 10, 20 years, 90% of the church was Jewish. It was a strange thing to see somebody like me in church. But now it's flipped. And we need to have, at some level, the same kind of passion that, that Paul did for the Gentiles to go back and reach the root. Well, I'm not trying to start a ministry to the Jewish population. I'm just saying there ought to be some sensitivity and some concern and some gratefulness that somehow or another that root was preserved so that we could be a branch. Are you listening to me? So there are three things Paul talks about here. One, being a fellow heir. Two, being a fellow member. And three, being a fellow partaker. A fellow heir. First of all, that you are not an only child needs to be emphasized constantly. That God really cares about other family members. And as evidenced by the fact that when he said, pray after me, pray this way, pray in this manner, when the disciples were trying to figure out how to talk to God, the first word he said was, our, not my. So the Lord's prayer is a corporate prayer. Intended to specifically remind you on a regular basis that this is not all about you. So fellow, somebody with you in this thing. Secondly, a fellow heir. There are, when an heir receives something from a a benefactor, usually there is an executor of the will that reads exactly what the benefit is. The benefactor left something. And he wants to make sure that the beneficiaries receive exactly what they should get. So he writes it down. 
He writes it down. And he expects it to be read so that you can understand what your inheritance is. I am speaking with great conviction without necessarily bringing the English bridge all the way over because I think you understand I'm talking about the Bible. Do I have to grammatically go ahead and talk about how, how there's a tie between a natural reading from an executor to a beneficiary from a benefactor of a will and how that beneficiary now understands exactly what they need to receive and you reading your Bible about what God has to say about you? Some of you have no idea what you have inherited. You leave it right on the shelf every day of your life. Because you haven't read your will. You, I'll say it. You haven't read God's will. This is sounding better to me than you're responding, and I don't know why. <laughs> you haven't read his will. You are an heir, and there are marvelous things that he has promised you now. Not just when you get to heaven, but now. Oh, when, when, when sickness and disease try to invade my household, I know the promises to which I must go to and recite them and rehearse them and speak them over my family. Because that's a part of my inheritance. When my money gets a little funny, I know that God will provide all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Not just because I happen to claim a scripture out of context, but because like the Philippian church in chapter 4, I have given, and I have given sometimes out of my lack. I know what it means to sow and therefore I reap. I understand what it means to confess things and believe for things that I do not have. To believe that God's will is going to be seen even though I don't see it yet. And to thank him for that which I don't have yet. Because I read the will. If you're going to be a fellow heir, you have to be more than just present. I appreciate you coming to church. Really happy. Overjoyed. And I want you to keep coming back. But it's more than just about your attendance. There's an inheritance that God has for you. And when Paul speaks about this, there's no question he's talking positionally in order to make sure that the church at Ephesus knows how these people need to be intentionally incorporated. But there's an experiential benefit with respect to your inheritance that you need to get and you need to read and you need to claim. There are people, all, in fact, there are businesses that do this. People all over America that have relatives that died and left them stuff and they have no idea. Because nobody read them the will and they didn't get it. It's just lying around in some bank someplace, in some safe deposit box. God help us to claim our inheritance. If we have been made fellow heirs in this covenant, you need to find out what your promises are. The things that God is giving to you and promised to you. Don't let your life pass and wind up on your bed of, of transition without you understanding why you were here and with that understanding seizing the opportunity every day to do the will of God to the utmost.
Fortunately, I was weaned on this stuff. When I got right with God, they, they talked about, I had scripture, remember, we used to have card catalogs before we had computers. And three by five index cards. And you'd write all your scriptures on the three by five index cards and keep them in your card catalog and you'd have, it'd be alphabetized. So you knew exactly where to go for scriptures regarding the things you needed for health, H, for, for prosperity, P. And you go out, you, you memorize that scripture. And I realized, boy, God, you said some things about me I had no idea about. Now I'm beginning to understand what your will is for my life. I was weaned on this. You may not have been, but it's time you start. It's time that you begin to understand something about your inheritance. If you're a fellow heir, please learn about your inheritance by reading the will. Secondly, fellow members of the body. Three things I want to concentrate on here. One, you're joined. Two, there ought to be a need and recognize that other people are needed. You ought to have a need and other people are needed. And three, value. That you are valued and you need to value others. One joined. Fellow members. Not just heirs. People that inherit a covenant. But we are tied together. And Paul uses metaphors a lot. He talks about the, the church being a body. The body of Christ. He talks about the church being the bride of Christ. He, he's, he mentions these things to try to bring some picture of reality that would help us understand better what God had in mind when he thought about how the church should function. And he says that we are joined together later on in Ephesians 4. We are joined together as, as every, every part joint should supply. So that if each part is working as it should in verse 16 of chapter 4 of, of, of Ephesians... That the body builds itself up in love. You are joined to the person sitting next to you. Whether you realize it or not, you're joined to them. I'm joined to you. We are inexorably bound to God's will together. If you call yourself a member of this house, we are more closely joined than if you were someplace else because I see you all the time and your proximity necessitates that I exhibit and practice love towards you. I love everybody. But that's, that's, that's more of a theological statement than it is in practice because I can't practically love everybody. I can't do what I need to do for everybody, but you're here. So I can work really, really hard on Wednesday at developing my message and, and Thursday and Friday and letting them marinate in my soul because I care about you so much and I don't want to waste your time. I want you to come in and realize you got something today that's helping you on Monday better than if you had not come on Sunday. That's my goal. That's how I love you from this stool. And then I go out there and I shake your hand because I want to get to know you. And the book of, of Deuteronomy says that when, when Moses and the leaders of the people would touch folks, they would be blessed, not Moses, the people. So that's why I shake your hands when you leave because I want you to get a blessing when you walk out this house. I'm sorry. I got ghetto. Walk out of this house.
We're joined. We're joined. And I love being joined to Jim Critcher. And God puts you with people that you don't think you would ever need to be with. I mean, this wasn't your plan. Uh, Kansas. Boy, Kansas. Kansas City, Kansas. Washington, D.C. Jim Critcher, Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. Me black, him white. Who would have thought this was a good idea? Nobody. He wouldn't have. I wouldn't have. And yet God joined us, and we are happier and better for it. You have to accept the joinings. So if you're a part of this house, God has blessed you with people that you get to be joined with that you wouldn't want to be joined with. He's blessed you like that. You get to cross-pollinate, and they with you. You get to grow in areas and learn something about somebody else's culture that you wouldn't normally learn about. Now, even though I didn't know Pastor Jim, I designed it like this in my brain. I told God in 1982 when I came here in August, if you ever give me the privilege of pastoring a church, please don't, don't let it look like me. I want it to look more like heaven than me. So there's some intentionality with how I build, yet it's not quota-based. It's just how I've crafted the way I communicate and how I structure the church, how I architecturally put things together so that when people come who happen to be not looking like me, they come and realize, well, this is not only enjoyable, a place to which I can come and receive benefit every once in a while. I could actually call that little black man my pastor. <laughs> yeah, I could, I could. You white. I know I'm white, but I could call him my pastor. Mm-hmm. And there are so many places, great congregations, Pastors who preach better than me and have better worship than we do. Run better administration than so many wonderful mono-ethnic congregations. And I'm not, I'm not mad about them. I'm proud of them. I think they're doing a great job at reaching their community. So many to which people from, who are not indigenous to that setting come in and they enjoy it just like all of us would. But walk out thinking, this can't be my home. Because they're so different. I'd have to cross too many barriers to get there. And they'd have to cross too many barriers to get to me. And I just can't. I, I love it. It's beautiful. But I can't. That's what they say in their mind. And, 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 and whether it's a white person or an Asian person going to a predominantly black congregation or whether it's a black person going to an all-white church, you know what it feels like, black folk. I mean, now we live in this environment. Black folk have to go into white things all the time. Nordstrom's. <laughs> I'm just saying I'm just saying, we live in a white world, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the way it is. Nobody's mad. It's just reality. And so we're kind of used to going into white environments because most of the world in America is white. But we are always conscious when we walk in. Okay? We're looking around, trying to get the lay of the land. See if anybody got little white sheets and pointed hats on. We have crafted this thing intentionally so that anybody who comes in, they may not be called to be with us, and that's fine. I'm, I realize I may not be everybody's cup of tea. I'm, I'm not mad about that. If they're called to be someplace else, wonderful. Please go. We love you, but go and serve those people. But, it, but at least there's no barrier. 
and communication and culture that doesn't allow people to join. We have crafted this thing architecturally for that purpose so that we can be joined and say something to America and the world about how relationships ought to work even when there are deep, deep relational and societal rifts between the two. I'm running out of time. Not only we join, <clears throat> but, but there's a need. I need Jim Critcher. I need Dehan Lee and his Korean background. He needs me for us to benefit and, and grow to, with, with one another. And, and Paul says in Corinthians, because the foot is not the hand, it is no less valued, is it? And the eye cannot say to the ear, I have no need of you. And so he goes from two perspectives. One, from the person who doesn't feel very valued and doesn't feel a part of the body, they begin to reflect and say, well, I'm, I'm really not, not worth much. And then he goes to the other perspective of saying, there are people who think they are all that. And they look at other folks and say, I don't need you. Whatever realm you live in that's unbiblical, change that. Because we all need one another. And indeed, in 1 in Corinthians 12, latter part of the chapter there, he talks about how important it is to value even the most weak and unesteemed members and to give honor to those. You don't even notice you got a little pinky toe until it starts hurting. <laughs> don't even notice. Don't care. It just does what it's supposed to do. But, but walk in the middle of the night with the light off and stub that toe. Oh, my goodness. You re all your attention goes to that toe. Oh, little toe. Life changes and revolves around that toe and makes you realize how important that little member of the body is, even though it's insignificant. Let's not let pain be our reminder. Let's just value one another. Lastly, fellow partakers. Here we're talking about what eternity looks like. And I'm not, I'm not, I don't have the entire picture, but I do know this. It's going to be marvelous. Heaven is going to be amazing. Amazing. Amazing beyond whatever English and any other language can describe it. But eternal life does not start when we get to glory. It starts now. He who believes in the Son has life. Life eternally comes to you when you believe. And you get eternal life internally when you believe. And so your, 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 your part of immortality starts as soon as you get born again. And goes on without, without cessation. doesn't stop. But you need to experience that life abundantly here. Jesus said, I came to give life in John 10, 10. And life more abundantly. Whatever you're living now is intended to be more. Whatever it is, you may have the best life you've ever thought of. This may be the best version of you and the best version of your circumstance you've ever had. But God wants there to be more because there's always more life from him to you. It ought to start now. A partaker of everything that God wants to give. John, uh, Peter says, we are partakers of the divine nature. Oh, my God in heaven. We need to experience this now. And we can. 
And I have to stop. Oh, I got so much more to say, but we got to pray.